This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, June 9th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kelms with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to help us start this Friday edition of the show. Michael Tilly with Talk Business and Politics. Welcome to the studio. Hey, I'd like it's kind of like being here at the right hand of God. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> um, let's start with a tentative labor deal right. that's been reached between Arkansas Best Freight and Teamsters. Right. So, um, and I can't believe it's been five years already, but their five-year contract expires June 30th. Um, the Teamsters represent about 8,600 ABF employees. That's drivers, dock workers, other folks. Um, and this was a, uh, a pretty tense negotiation back in 2018. I remember covering it. Again, I can't remember. I can't believe it's been five years already. Um, and it was shaping up to be a little tough again, but... And for example, the uh, Teamsters, the, the members uh, that work for ABF, had already authorized a strike, uh, voted to authorize a strike. But uh, they announced uh, earlier this week that they've reached a tentative agreement. It has to go before some representatives, Teamster representatives. Then it will go to a full vote of the membership. Um, let's hope that goes smooth. You remember in the last round, mm-hmm. it took two or three votes to get there. Um, but... ABF is pretty important, obviously, to ArcBest. It's their largest subsidiary. Here's just I'll just throw this number out to provide an example of how important it is. Last year, ArcBest full year revenue was five point three million of that, of three five point three billion, Ooh. and th- uh, just a little over three billion of that was from ABF. So more than fifty percent, yes, the majority. Yeah. So you don't want to, you know, it's in everybody's best interest for that to get worked out. In the last contract, we didn't get. Neither side is releasing details of this contract, and they probably won't until it's it's um, finalized. The Teamster reps are finalizing it goes before it vote. But uh, in the last contract, the, the especially the drivers got a pretty hefty pay increase, and it's somewhat ironic they were somewhat in a um, freight recession the last time they mm-hmm. negotiated, and they're kind of in one. We're kind of in one now, so. Um, I guess maybe we, every five years we just wait for a freight recession and, and redo the contract. But knock on wood, maybe this will get uh, this will get done uh, uh, relatively soon and before this June thirty strike date. What I like about seeing this story come up every time the contract is renegotiated is in Arkansas we don't think about the Teamsters that much. We think that they're not, you know, that's something in the Northeast or the Midwest. I'm glad that this reminds us. Well, yeah, it reminds us that, that we have unions and they have impact and they can help employees with wages and benefits. And, look, they're in a contract negotiation with UPS also. And that's right. 350, 360,000 workers. And they've they've authorized a strike vote there. So there are several uh, of these uh, carriers, these lesson truckload carriers like ABF, that uh, kind of come up around the same time. So... Um, and so far, it's looking like they're all going to work out. I was wondering if you had artificial intelligence writing some headlines this week at Talk Business because I saw this one. Fort Smith Metro building permit values up almost 45%. <laughs> I thought, they're just plugging this in. This is, seems yeah. like the headline I saw last month and yeah. the month before that. Yeah, fake it till you make it. <laughs> just plugging them in. No, it, it continues, although I think we're going to see – you know, last year for the full year, that and we report on the three cities, Fort Smith, Van Buren, and Greenwood. You know, last year was $480.3 million was the combined permit values. I, I'll be surprised if it hits that again. We're already seeing a little bit of moderation. Um, but for the region, for January through May, the region has $255 million in permits. That's up, as you said, 44.5%. Uh, year to date, Fort Smith is up 
we got t- the bulk of that, two hundred thirty-seven mm-hmm. million, which is, but they're up almost ninety, uh, almost hundred percent. It's ninety-seven percent. In Van Buren, though, they've fallen quite a bit. A lot of that is if um, we remember that large Simmons chicken processing plant was under construction for most of the last two years. A lot of that's finished up, and so their permit activity in the first five months of the year is down seventy-five percent, and Greenwood is down ten percent. So. Um, if the record is broken, if last year's record is broken, it'll l- primarily be on the back of Fort Smith to to pull that off. But we're seeing a little bit of moderation on commercial work, although this uh, recent uh, report had an eight and a half million new hotel project on Phoenix Avenue and a four and a half million storage unit. I didn't realize it cost that much to build a storage unit. Wow. But, well, you got to um, have climate control and yeah, all that. So, and that's adjacent to Ben Garen Park and and on the um, east side of Fort Smith. So, a couple of large projects, but I, we're seeing somewhat of a moderation in commercial and somewhat of a moderation in residential. Although we kind of been told that residential may pick up, um, you know, with this pilot uh, foreign pilot training center, there'll right. be a lot of folks, both U.S. military personnel and foreign military personnel and families. So, we'll we'll see. This connects to another story that was in Talk Business at talkbusiness.net earlier this week about Arkansas having the highest percentage gain in construction jobs right. over the past 12 months. And this is why. I mean, northwest Arkansas and the Arkansas River Valley, at least, just keep building. Yeah, and you know, and part of that report, we talked about the job numbers would be even more if they could find the, right. find the people to fill those jobs. All right, speaking of headlines I'd seen before, <laughs> Fort Smith's Peak Center floods again. Uh, yeah, and um, this peak center is is a wonderful idea. It is. It's a great idea. It's um, it's the Peak Innovation Center, the Fort Smith Public School District. It was part of this millage package that they passed three or four years ago. Long overdue. It's a uh, kind of an advanced workforce training facility, um, which is what I think we need more of around the country. And it's not just a great benefit for Fort Smith Public School District students, but it has programs for students all around the region. And the University of Arkansas Fort Smith's involved. And it's not just manufacturing or well, it's healthcare and computer and it's robotics. Right. There's a lot of great programs they offer through that. But here's the thing. Um, the building, it was an existing building that was renovated. And I'll just cut to the chase and say it was not renovated very well. We have, uh, we at Talk Business have continue to receive documents and continue to get input from consultants and engineers and some of the contractors working on it that they stressed over and over again to the district administration that you've got your you don't have a water analysis you don't have you've got to replace the there's water under the slab concrete floor you got to replace it and time and time and time again when the district administration was told that they were doing it wrong and they needed to come up with a better way to do it they were rejected, and the district just said, you just do what we tell you to do. So this is going to be a problem, and it's going to be a multi-million dollar problem. The school board, of course, the school board has asked for third-party investigation, and Kyle, I will be surprised if the administration allows that to happen. They'll probably try their best to talk school board members out of that because a true independent third-party investigation is not going to look very good on the district. So what happens now? I mean, you may have this third-party inspection, but but there's obviously a challenge here to keep water out of the, the peak center. Hopefully, um, smarter heads will prevail, and they'll back up and try to do the right thing as much as they can. But, you know, when 
you know, doing the right thing in terms of um, water analysis before you built parking lots and entryways, water analysis about what's under the concrete slab before you put walls and tile and before you built bathrooms on that. I, you know, Kyle, I've talked to some engineers. They say there's, there's no, there will not be an easy fix. And if there is a fix at all, it will definitely not be cheap. So um, to answer your question, I don't know. But hopefully, again, the smarter heads in the room, the adults, there will be some adults in the room show up and they'll figure out a way to fix this. When these flooding instances occur, does that put a halt on classes and instruction? Well, if there are classes going on, this one. Yeah. And the the one thing that's very troubling about this last flooding event, Kyle, we just had a moderate amount of rainfall. Mm-hmm. That Nothing should have flooded. Nothing should have flooded. But it speaks to the water that's already, the water table that it's already there. And any little bit of added water, gotcha. that water comes up through the floor and up through the joints. And so um, it's... Again, it's such a great facility, a unique facility, and it's a shame that um, the school district administration didn't build it right, uh, didn't do the right thing in the first place. Finally, the Compass Report is yes. coming back. It's been gone for a while. Yeah, we we stopped it in 2017. We had some personnel and other changes kind of halted. We launched it in the first quarter of 2009, so it had been around a while. But we look, and I'll just jump right to it, we look at the um, top four metro areas in Arkansas, Central, Northwest, Fort Smith Metro, and Johnsboro Metro, and we pull together quite a bit of data. It's, we look at four leading in indicator, economic indicators and four what are called coincident or current economic indicators, and we pull together a grade for a regional economy. So um, the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith has uh, partnered with us, and we are so grateful they have Kendall Ross executive director of the University Center for Economic Development. He is he and his team are gathering the data. They provide narrative based on the economic indicators. Greg Kaza, he's an economist. He's executive director of the Arkansas Poly- Policy Foundation. He's agreed to provide commentary about the data. Um, First National Bank of Fort Smith's come on as a co-sponsor, um, and we have some other folks that may be interested in that. But um, just glad to have it back. We had so many – when we – launched it. I was surprised at the feedback and continued to be surprised at the feedback of small and large business owners or business managers who said, man, we appreciate this data. It gives us more insight into what's going on. It helps me plan. It helps me budget. So, um, and again, it's just, it, it provides a better picture of what's going on uh, in the world around us. And the first of the, the revitalized Compass Report, we'll look at the first quarter of 2023? Uh, that could land any day now. Stay tuned. Okay. Say. All right. Well, you can find out about all of this at talkbusiness.net. Michael, thanks for your time. You're welcome, sir. How many times have you said to a friend, I was listening to KUAF and heard this story? That's what KUAF is all about. The stories, news, and insights that make you stop and think and start your own conversations. There's something new to share every day. Whether it's political analysis on Morning Edition, an inspiring guest on Ozarks at Large, or an insight into a current issue from All Things Considered. It's radio you want everyone you know to hear. And it's radio that exists thanks to the generous support of listeners like you. As we celebrate 50 years on the air in 2023, show how much you value KUAF by becoming a member today. You can give online at supportkuaf.com. Later on this edition of Ozarks, rethinking our climate future. How do we rally behind a better catastrophe? 
And that's part of the book. The book is about what kind of hope will serve us when that is our best option. Andrew Boyd's new book, I Want a Better Catastrophe, suggests there is hope, optimism, and grief when considering the changing climate. Our conversation in today's second half hour. The third annual Ozark Beer Company Cardboard Regatta is June 11th at Lake Atlanta in Rogers. Teams and onlookers are invited to participate in the -the over-the-top spectacle. Prizes will be awarded. Proceeds benefit the Rogers Public Educational Foundation. OzarkBeerCompany.com slash regatta for registration, rules, and more. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas's overall Medicaid enrollment has fallen by about 15% in two months, with about 140,000 people deemed ineligible since April. A report released Thursday by the State Department of Human Services shows just fewer than 69,000 people lost coverage in May. Earlier Thursday, community advocates met in front of the Arkansas State Capitol to share their experiences attempting to re-enroll in the state's Medicaid program. Crystal Alexander-Berry with the group Arkansas Community Organization says DHS mistakenly thought she made too much money to qualify for Medicaid. I was only making 1300 at a job and they put that I was making twice as much and they said they was going to cut me off my Medicaid due to me making too much income, but it's a glitch in the system that's putting double the income into there that's knocking people off. I have two kids and it's also was showing that Uh, my daughter was cut off. States were not allowed to terminate Medicaid coverage during the COVID-19 public health emergency, which ended in May. Arkansas began the process of redetermining eligibility in April when roughly 72,000 recipients lost coverage. The group's Al Allen says Arkansas's truncated timeline of six months to complete all redeterminations is likely resulting in errors. We're emphasizing the need for a navigator program. Clearly, if these systems can't function well enough on their own, we need a human with a heart to go in and see what's happening to people so that we're not cutting coverage unnecessarily. A survey of roughly 400 Medicaid recipients by Arkansas community organizations found about 45% of respondents face challenges when trying to access health care services covered by Medicaid. The University of Arkansas will offer an online degree in Spanish beginning in the fall. University officials say globalization and expanding migration and immigration are increasing demand for Spanish language education. The bachelor's degree can be obtained 100% online and applications can be made now. The Fayetteville School District will host a ribbon cutting for the John L. Colbert Middle School on Rupal Road next week. The ceremony will take place Thursday morning for the school honoring the just-retired superintendent. The Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer civil rights organization, is declaring a state of emergency for LGBTQ plus people for the first time since it was founded 40 years ago. The declaration cites an acceleration of anti-LGBTQ plus state legislation signed into law. In Arkansas, lawmakers have enacted laws banning trans youth from engaging in sport, gender-affirming health care for youth, and bans on bathroom accommodations for trans youth. Megan Tullock, advocacy coordinator for Northwest Arkansas Center for Equality in Fayetteville, says according to a new LGBTQ plus business state climate index published earlier this year by Out Leadership, Arkansas ranks 50th in the nation for quality of life. For kind of working and living as an LGBTQ person or um, person with an LGBTQ child um, in the nation. I think it was HRC did a, did another report about kind of the impact of Don't Say Gay in Florida after three months and, and how 56% of 
LGBTQ people and people with LGBTQ kids um, had considered leaving the state. Tolick says bias legislation is also causing an exodus of LGBTQ plus people in Arkansas and creating fear for those who choose to stay. So I think that that the impact of this legislation in in research-supported ways uh, makes queer people feel that we don't belong here and that we aren't wanted here and that we aren't safe here um, and that we should find someplace else to, to be. Tolick says Northwest Arkansas Center for Equality is monitoring any possible disruption that could interrupt Pride celebrations scheduled in Fayetteville for later this month. The success of Pride and the, the, the size of Pride and stuff has really ballooned in Northwest Arkansas since 2017 or 18. So I think that, that it, it's always, Pride is always something where we really have to consider safety and security. Um, we're very fortunate in Northwest Arkansas and in, for Northwest Arkansas Pride that we have such a supportive and, and positive relationship with the Fayetteville Police Department, um, which really has goes goes out of their way to keep queer people safe, um, you know, and and to keep Pride safe. Pride weekend in Fayetteville is scheduled for June 23rd and 24th. Former Arkansas Razorback basketball head coach Nolan Richardson is now in the National Junior College Athletic Association Foundation Hall of Fame. He led Western Texas Junior College to the national championship in 1980. He led the Arkansas Razorbacks to the NCAA championships more than a decade later. Richardson was inducted into this latest Hall of Fame last night at a ceremony in North Carolina. He's previously been honored with plaques in the College Basketball Hall of Fame and the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. Arkansas Razorback Britton Wilson is closer to her goal of winning both the 400-meter and 400-meter hurdles races at this weekend's NCAA National Championships in Austin, Texas. She finished first in both of her semifinals in those races last night. She'll run for the championships tomorrow. In all, last night, the Razorback women's team totaled seven entries for tomorrow's women's finals. The Razorback men's track team entered today's men's finals in first place as a team, three points ahead of Stanford and Arizona. marks KUAF's 50th year of broadcasting in northwest Arkansas and the surrounding area. We're with you every day, all year long, bringing you vitally important news, entertainment, conversations, and local programs and podcasts to keep us all informed and up-to-date on life and culture where we live. As we approach the end of our fiscal year, which ends at the end of June, we're raising funds to keep KUAF stronger than ever. Your gift before June 30th will help us toward our goal of raising an extra $50,000 for this month. Your gift will help pay for the programs, the reporting, the equipment and technology that we absolutely have to have to continue bringing you the radio you rely on every day. You can support KUAF right now, today, and help us end our financial year as strong as ever. You can give online right now at supportkuaf.com and thank you. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. 
It's time for our local libraries to roll out their summer reading programs, and we heard from two of them this week on the Spotlight. We start with the Fort Smith Public Library as they're bringing in Ayana Gray, a New York Times bestselling author and Arkansan, for a public talk and book signing. It will kick off the If All Arkansas Read the Same Book Tour. This week, we spoke with Robin Bedham, Youth Services Librarian at FSPL. A book is chosen, and all the libraries in Arkansas receive copies of the book. Online digital copies are increased. And it's just a chance for the citizens of Arkansas to um, read the same book and encourages the enjoyment of reading. It promotes book discussions in libraries. And all, of all types in Arkansas. This author, Ayana Gray, will this, will she be the, is this the book that uh, is going to be read? Yes. She actually has um, a series called the Beast of Prey series. It's a young adult fantasy series. And I have to tell you, fantasy is not my usual <laughs> genre, but I could not put the book down. Oh. It is it is riveting. And as we know, a lot of adults read young adult literature, and it's it's really, really fascinating. I would encourage everyone to read it. Robin Benham, Youth Services Librarian at Fort Smith Public Library. Ayana Gray visited the library Thursday. You can find more at fortsmithlibrary.org. The Springdale Public Library is also gearing up for the annual summer reading program, starting with a grand kickoff tomorrow, June 10th, in Murphy Park. This week we heard from Nina Hodson, Marketing Director with the Springdale Public Library. We'll have free Kona ice, we're going to have a bounce obstacle course, um, live music with Mariachi Amistad, and a lot of other fun things. It's going to be really great, and if you sign up for our summer reading program at the kickoff, there's um, a free gift to get you started. What you do is you read books, you complete challenges, such as read a book with the author with the last name starting with Z, or some other fun things like that, and then you win prizes as you complete them. Nina Hodson with SPL. Again, that summer reading kickoff, that's tomorrow, June 10th in Murphy Park. For information, springdellelibrary.org. This month of June, Adventure Subaru's Share the Love campaign will once again work to benefit a local nonprofit. This go-around, it's Essentials Outreach. We've heard about this group before. They work to make available those everyday products that some of us take for granted. Deodorant, tampons, toothpaste, specifically in lower-income areas of our communities. This week, we heard from Christy Ginther representing Essentials Outreach. Yeah, so we started in 2015, and really working with some rural communities, we realized that there's a gap between there's food pantries, a lot of times in the small communities, and then we realize there's a gap that there's no one serving these rural communities with higher poverty levels for health and hygiene items. So that was where we came from, saying how do we supply health and hygiene items to rural communities, and we currently are at Greenland, Lincoln, Gravit, and we added Decatur in the last year. And, the, and I do want to emphasize, not to be picky, but these are family size okay. and new products because these are um, products that we want to give to families that would last a full month okay. until we do another outreach. Okay. But those uh, items would be toothbrushes, toothpaste, hand soap, and then bar bath soap, hair shampoo, men's and women's deodorant, clothes detergent, dish detergent, razors, and 
number one, toilet paper. You know, they may have toilet paper, but maybe they have to ration it. I mean, and that's what we're trying to help with. And again, I've mentioned this on, on your show before. When we first started, we had a principal talk about from one of those communities saying children were sharing toothbrushes. And so that's kind of, those stories are what make us want to do what we keep doing. It, it is a dignity issue, and that's why we do ask for new products, because we want folks to have exactly what you get off a store. And, and, and over the years, too, Pete, I want to emphasize, we have seen families come through that say, I don't need that, give that to someone else. So I think that's part of the community as well, and um, taking what they need because, and to help their families, but also being cognizant of what they don't need. For information on how you might be able to help out, EssentialsOutreach.org or AdventureSubaru.com. And we end this edition of the Week in Review with a discussion with Robert Ginsberg, founder and artistic director of the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society and the host of Shades of Jazz here on KUAF. Get this for 43 years. The KUAF Summer Jazz Concert Series has begun. Here's Robert. The Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society and KUAF have been partnering on the Summer Jazz Concert Series for 25 years. And this year, we've got a great lineup of events. There's over seven concerts we'll be having spread out across Northwest Arkansas. Different venues. Different venues will be at the... um, Crystal Bridges, we'll be at Turnbow Park, we'll be at the Rail Yard in Rogers, and we'll be at the Walt Art Center. And uh, all of the info for this and more is at our website, digjazz.com. You know, we're talking about a quarter century of y'all doing this uh, with multiple events each of those seasons. Uh, Can you think back, I mean, what are some things in the past 25 years that just you were... Not just proud to get here, but that you enjoyed seeing as well. I'm sure you enjoy all of them. Pete, you know, I, I, as soon as you said that, what triggered was the, the very beginning of this. Okay. And that was the Toast and Jam. Oh. That was the first concerts that the Jazz Society did with KUAF. And we were toasting the fact that KUAF was about to become an NPR affiliate. And we were we had a jam session with like 20 different jazz musicians at the old town club, yes. which oh, no longer God. exists at the hotel, the downtowner hotel. So I really go back to that, Pete, and I think that was 25 years ago. Doesn't seem it, does it? Uh, it seems like 50 years ago. <laughs> okay, well then maybe so. Robert Ginsburg with the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society. Again, for more, digjazz.com. Remember to tune in next week for more Community Spotlight segments highlighting the best of our communities. You can find more at our website, KUAF.com. I'm Pete Hartman, and remember, your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large with me on the phone from her office in Bella Vista is Becca Martin-Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, it's been a couple of weeks. Welcome back. Hi, nice to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Uh, I How guess was that vacation. It was good. It was. I I had uh, a couple of days at a beach. I saw a nephew graduate high school. Had some time to read books. Kind of a perfect vacation, actually. Oh, sounds lovely. It was. It was. Thanks for asking. Um, but but now I'm back and I want to do something. Do I have anything to do? Oh yeah. Oh good. And you need to hurry on the first one. Okay. This is the last. Friday and Saturday for the Fort Smith Little Theater production of Death Trap. The premise is that a playwright is having some 
bad luck writing a new play. And suddenly he gets one in the, ma- the mail that just might be a great hit. So perhaps he can find some way to benefit from that. If you've never been to Fort Smith Little Theater, let me encourage you to go. They have a beautiful facility. They are true community theater. And you will have the best time. The director, Mickey Volker, said she first saw Death Trap on Broadway in 1978 when she was 15. She said there was a moment so shocking that I screamed aloud and grabbed the elderly gentleman, a complete stranger, next to me. I've loved Death Trap ever since. Tonight and tomorrow night, 7.30, Fort Smith Little Theater, $12. Okay. FSLT.org. If you'd like to listen to something and not have to leave your house, today is the release date for the very first album ever for the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas. And it's quite an interesting CD. It is way over my head, because that is not my area of expertise. It's called New Canons, and it's all new works by Paul Haas, the music director, Ray Lustig, and Trevor New. And parts of it were recorded remotely. Right. So it's the absolute cutting edge of how to make symphonic music. And it's all brand new music. has nothing to do with Bach, Beethoven, or any of those guys. And do you know, because when I talked to Paul Haas about this months ago, a while back, I asked him if it was going to be a physical CD, and I can't remember if he knew at the time. Will there actually be a physical CD available? To the best of my knowledge, it will be available only streaming for okay. the moment. Okay. And it should be available on any streaming platform that you use. There is, however, a new theater company getting on its feet in Fayetteville. It's called Theater Collective, mm-hmm. and it all started at a party at Kaylee Irwin's house in December. Other people planned vacations or whatever. They planned a theater company. <laughs> and in May, they had the first performance, which was an evening of songs and monologues as part of the Sunday night socials at Theater Squared. The people involved are people you know. Rachel Mills, Stephanie Whitcomb, Lexi Edmonds, Juliet Robinson, all women, coincidentally. And they have a season plan for their very first year. No date. No locations yet, but a plan. The first thing is going to be a night of one acts, because that allows for a lot of people to be involved. Then a miscast cabaret, allowing performers to showcase their talent in roles they can't play. Such as? The roles have been the age of, the the rules of age or gender or style or key. I see. Nightfall with Edgar Allan Poe is a full-length production that weaves together the Raven, the Fall of the House of Usher, the Pit and the Pendulum, and the Telltale Heart. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do open casting for all the roles. And the final one will be a holiday cabaret, which is exactly what it sounds like, an evening holiday song. And you can follow them on Facebook or Instagram. They're called Theater Collective. And they're doing a great job of keeping people up to date that way, so you'll know what's going on tomorrow. Super Saturday at the Fayetteville Public Library at 10 a.m. is Juggleology. Ooh, I'm so glad I only had to say that once. (laughs) From 10 to noon, there's something called an obstacle runaround at the Jones Center in Springdale. Uh One adult, one kid per team. 
army crawl, water sprinklers, a straw pyramid, $35 sign up at the jonescenter.net slash obstacle runaround. What was the last thing you said? What kind of pyramid? A straw pyramid. S-T-R-A-W? Yes. I don't know what that is. Okay. All right. I know it involves a noodle forest, too, and a mud pit. All right. These are not things you and I would do. No, no. <laughs> Let's just face it. Tomorrow is also International Yarn Bombing Day. Oh, I know who that is. At Ozark Folkways in Winslow. Yeah. From 11 to 3, $10 to participate. And Buddy Shoot and the Motivators play at 6 o'clock at Ozark Folkways, so you can hang around for that. And then Sunday, one of my favorite times of the year, Mountain Street Stage is back at the Fayetteville Public Library. Free concerts. Free concerts, family-friendly, all kinds of music. This Sunday is Duo Divina's at 2 o'clock. Oh, if you've never been, get thee to the library. Uh, Becca Martin-Brown. Oh. oh, go ahead. Oh, don't forget to check out What's Up on Sunday because there's two more plays about either open or about to open. And one of them has a dog as a star. All right. All right, we'll have to read that on Sunday, physically or digitally. Becca Martin-Brown is the features editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, we'll do this again next week. Awesome. Thank you. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville invites guests to discover American art, architecture, and 120 acres of Ozark nature. Visitors can also enjoy family-friendly activities and programs and a variety of food and drink experiences. More information at crystalbridges.org. Andrew Boyd pays attention to our changing climate with despair, but also with a bit of dark humor. He's written the books Life's Little Despair, Daily Afflictions, and now his new book, I Want a Better Catastrophe, Navigating the Climate Crisis with Grief, Hope, and Gallows Humor. The premise, we've tilted past a certain point of no return when it comes to climate change, and now is the time, he thinks, to approach ways to mitigate the damage. I spoke with him recently, just days after the latest United Nations climate report offered a somewhat grim update on the progress of climate change. We're living in what you might call um, emergency emergency time, an emergency moment, and we need to be uh, address it with an emergency mindset, uh, kind of like we did in World War II, where we mobilized you know, the entire economy and uh, all of society and a, and, a, and a united national common purpose uh, to take on an existential threat. Then it was uh, Nazi Germany, and now it is uh, something that we have done to ourselves you know, uh, the large fossil fuel companies and their cooperating political um, politicians more than anyone else, but that, you know, we as a civilization have done to ourselves. Uh, and we must treat it as the existential threat that it is. Uh, and there's much that we can do. And as the, as the report this, uh, this week argues, there is still, there is still, if we do all the things that we need to do, uh, and there is still time to avoid uh, many of the worst impacts. You know, you mentioned World War II, uh, a reaction such as that. And I think it's you who write. I can't remember if it was you or someone, one of the people you interviewed for this book, who said they were kind of waiting for this Pearl Harbor moment that would galvanize a lot of people to understand how uh, critical changing the way we think, the way we behave would happen. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, uh, I think in one of the little pieces uh, in the book, um, 
uh, yeah, I spun that notion out, you know, using World War II as a, as a metaphor or as a reference point for the, the crisis and the emergency mobilization that we need to go into. And, um, yeah, in World War II, there was this Pearl Harbor moment that, you know, uh, electrified uh, the, com- the, the whole country into a, a different, uh, you know, into an emergency mobilization, basically. And there was a rationale. There was an enemy. There was a clear purpose. Uh, everyone needed to step up, and there were many, many, many ways to do it. From from you know, 20 million victory gardens to Rosie the Riveter to you know, putting 10 million people under uh, in uniform and sending them across the world uh, and completely retooling industry. I think four days, if I remember correctly, four days after Pearl Harbor, uh, the production of private automobiles was basically banned. <laughs> I mean, that is like a united. That is an extraordinary turnaround. That the country as a whole felt was necessary. People hitchhiked, people gave each other carpool. You know, there was just a, uh, people do- dropped their rubber off in the town square, you know, because we were cut off from a lot of the uh, natural rubber uh, because of uh, the, you know, because of the war with Japan. So we need that kind of um, stepping up. And uh, a lot of people are just for, you know, there's uh, communities uh, all across the, the nation are, are making climate resiliency plans and, you know, states are passing their own versions, you know, California, New York, uh, other, many other states, their own versions of the Green New Deal, which is, you know, of that same Roosevelt uh, era of, you know, united national purpose to dig ourselves out of the, the depression and then and then to be Hitler. So we need that kind of heroic uh, common purpose uh, now. Um, and there's many people at many levels, individual, community, na- you know, state, national, who are uh, taking up that challenge, putting their wheel, their their shoulder to the wheel of, of history into this, uh, you know, extraordinary challenge. That is not just about bad things, but is has the promise of a, of retooling our society to have uh, safer communities, cleaner air, cleaner water, uh, more justice, um, etc. Part much of the book, I want a better catastrophe, navigating the climate crisis with grief, hope, and gallows humor, points out. That that line that we've thought about, those of us who aren't global climate scientists who have thought about for a long time, I hope we don't cross that line. Well, maybe that line's been crossed. You actually write on page 21, uh, catastrophic climate change is going to happen, period. So I think what we're looking at is maybe shifting thinking. Like a lot of those lines have been crossed. Now let's think a different way. Yeah, that's that's the title. Uh, better catastrophe, yeah. right? The, the scientists and the you know, many futurists and prognosticators are saying we have crossed some of these critical deadlines. Not all of them, but some. And so we have basically released enough greenhouse gases uh, uh, and threatened our you know critical uh, you know water systems and and habitats, et cetera, in such a way and you know, biodiversity is in crisis and oceans are acidifying, all the things. Uh, we've crossed certain critical red lines. Uh, so we are in for some kind of catastrophe. Uh, and so the attitude then is what is the be- how do we get the best catastrophe? And it sounds ironic and oxymoronic, but, you know, and even maybe moronic, but how do we get the best catastrophe that is still available to us? And, and we're in this situation because we failed to do what we needed to do uh, 20, 30 years ago, and we're in this situation because um, Exxon, for example, you know, had best geologists on the planet, knew 
knew and predicted to a very accurate degree, 50 years ago, knew what was going to unfold, but it was not in their self-interest to do anything or to do anything major about it. And they instead invested in, in junk science and a whole, you know, $100 million campaign, not just Exxon, but all the fossil fuel companies um, of, you know, denial, delay, dissembling, uh, created a fake debate where there wasn't one. 97% of scientists, you know, there's a consensus that, you know, global warming is, is caused by humans and has, you know, has the potential to have catastrophic consequences. Uh, so, you know, yeah, so we shouldn't be in this position and fossil fuel centered special interests put us in this position, but now we are in a position where we have some kind of catastrophe. How do we get the best one still available? And that's both, um, you know, what is our strategy, what policies, et cetera, but it's also like, how do we think and feel about that? How do we rally behind a better catastrophe? And that's part of the, what the book is about. What kind of hope will serve us when that is our best option? That's the real central investigation of the book. And it's both an internal one inside me and one out in the world talking to you know wise people and just taking the pulse of Americans from every walk of life to figure out how people are navigating that predicament. You have these wonderful interviews. In a nutshell, yeah, yeah. you have these so, wonderful interviews with uh, people who have been studying the environment and climate for some time, trying to make a difference. And three right. words that you kind of, in a way, discuss with all of them: hope, optimism, and grief. And their takes on that, both, you know, globally, but also personally. And I find that very interesting how how they thought about the words hope and optimism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my early interviewees, uh, a person named Tim Christopher, grew up in Appalachia, moved to Utah, uh, tried to defend uh, Red Rock country out there, and then went to the uh, Divinity School so that he could tell, he's going to tell people the truth about our situation. He wanted to do it with a pastoral level of care, which I thought was, was a very beautiful sentiment and a very sort of uh, good faith, um, you know, a way to care, you know, be able to tell the truth, but care about the people you're telling it to, because it's hard news to hear. Um, yeah, he, he made a very strong distinction between hope and optimism. And, and, he, and he said, optimism isn't going to cut it because of all the things we just discussed. So um, we need this robust kind of hope, not a fragile, flimsy hope kind of hope or optimism that depends on a good outcome. Because, you know, if you, all the things we've been talking about, and if you follow the report this week, et cetera, we're not, that's really not on the table anymore, a good outcome. So what kind of hope is that? And he defined hope in this very beautiful, I thought, resilient kind of way, which was um, hope is the will to hold on to your values in the face of difficulty. So he defined it in a very spiritual, very moral, very ethical kind of way, not in a percentage chance of something working out well. And I think that's the kind of hope um, that I, you know, when I talk to many of these other climate leaders and thinkers, from philosophers to psychologists to botanists, uh, you know, um, they were finding, you know, they were crafting or trying to share uh, their own version of that. And it was, it was always a similar kind of more robust verb, hope as a verb, hope as a practice. Andrew Boyd's new book is I Want a Better Catastrophe, Navigating the Climate Crisis with Grief, Hope, and Gallows Humor. This is... Ozarks at Large.
In the background is pianist Aaron Goldberg doing Way, Way Back. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this edition of the show, we'll hear more from Goldberg as well as Dizzy Gillespie, Toninho Horta, Robert Glasper, Dexter Gordon, and much more. Join me Friday and Saturday for Shades of Jazz. Shades of Jazz, tonight at 10 on 91.3 KUAF, and then tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3, available on your HD radio, streaming at KUAF.com, or by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF 3. Northwest Arkansas Fashion Week is underway at the Momentary in Bentonville. The first runway show last night. There will be runway shows tonight and tomorrow night. Yesterday, organizers and designers included in this year's shows fielded a few questions about the experience. Fashion Week is part of Assembly, a month-long umbrella of creativity curated by Interform. Ro Bailey, the communications manager for Interform, says she's proud of the broad approach to fashion and people Northwest Arkansas Fashion Week takes. Everyone wears clothes, right? And so in order to, to be represented, like I think what people don't realize is how important representation is. And with you making that collection, you know, with Richie Clark, it's really important. But to um, show people of all sizes and ethnicities and genders and ages, that is profound. And, and it, it helps people beyond just walking in a fashion show. Like, it's not just about you walking in a fashion show. If you can walk in front of 300 people, I guarantee you, you can make a presentation at Tyson. So. <laughs> Things like that really matter and they carry, they stay with you and we create like a network and a community of artists and models and hair and makeup artists. Designers at yesterday's press conference expressed how much they appreciated the chance to design and show their work. Sindhu Varagani concentrates on sustainable clothing and says she's participated in Northwest Arkansas Fashion Week before. And that first year, she says, she benefited from support from Interform CEO Robin Atkinson. I moved from New York. You can imagine, I yeah. love New York, but I never got a chance there. Um, and then I love being uh, here. I, I found Northwest Arkansas Fashion Week. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. And Robin, I met Robin the other day, uh, two weeks or one week before that. She gave me strength, then you can do it. I don't know if she remember that or not, but she really <laughs> gave me that trend. You can do it. It's okay. Another designer in this year's show, Braxton Carney, is involved in a first fashion show as a designer. They walked the runway last year, and they then gained experience creating as both teacher and student at Interform, working with Basna Chetri, the Senior Director of Fashion Design and Apparel Education at Interform. I'm an assistant sewing instructor with the Learn Department. I work with Basna. Um, that is literally a dream, another dream job. Like getting to teach other people how to sew when I started sewing officially last year with Interform um, has been like a dream come true. Um, I started modeling um, last year at the Spring Show and now I'm also a designer. Um, for Racks Custom, which is my brand, and I'm presenting my first collection tonight. Northwest Arkansas Fashion Week continues through tomorrow night at the Momentary. You can see a schedule and a full list of designers in this year's shows at interform.art. Opera. Terror. And jazz. Uncovering their shared history and influences. 
it's a great legacy, and I'm enjoying putting them back together. Where else but New Orleans? That story and all the latest news, economic, political, and smoky. Saturday and Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 on 91.3 KUAF. Northwest Arkansas's musical community lost a friend, musician, and collaborator this week. Musician, singer, and songwriter Claire Starr died. You've seen and heard him, likely. He was seemingly everywhere. In fact, in a May 2021 interview with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis, he mentioned that during the height of the pandemic, when musical gigs disappeared, he would perform along the Razorback Greenway or on the Fayetteville Square just to let us hear his music. Just scroll on social media to see how much his playing and friendship meant to so many people, those who were fellow musicians and those who were just fans. Here, from that May 2021 visit to the Carver Center for Public Radio, is Claire Starr performing his song, Violin. I said I wouldn't go to see her Inside her eyes is a wax museum Probably she knows that I need to wash some clothes. I bet I knew I'd come to see her. Mother, she likes to watch the birds. Women are women all over the world. I see is sand Where is my sweet land Women are girls All over the world So play your violin And bring us all back in Play your fiddle things just like to go together sugar and spice dead men and eyes but try to play it cool when you're the fool you'll find out what goes together Some do things that others won't But in that we may have missed a point All my friends have rows of bruises You choose who wins and the rest of us loses But one of these things is just not like the other I thought I would die before my brother Oh really
it, that's a lie I don't think I thought about which one would die But one of these things is just not like the other So play your violin And bring us all back in Play your fiddle and bring us all back in. The late Claire Starr at the Carver Center for Public Radio in May 2021, as recorded by Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis. I'm Maria Hinojosa, this week on Latino USA. We spend 72 hours in Chicago at the largest free clinic in the nation, a place dedicated to serving people without health insurance. ¿Te costó ir al doctor? No, no, pero mucha gente se dice, ah, que voy, pues si, si me muero, que me muera. That's This Week on Latino USA. Latino USA can be heard Sunday afternoon beginning at 3 on KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Johnson. Reminder, KUAF's Listening Lab is now open. It's a space for honest and intimate conversations to better understand our neighbors and ourselves. You can learn more about the Listening Lab and schedule your visit with your conversation partner at KUAF.com slash V-Listening-Lab or just put KUAF Listening Lab into your search engine, and you'll get there. We look forward to hearing from you. Contributors to today's edition of Ozarks at Large included Michael Tilley, Pete Hartman, and Becca Martin-Brown. Additional help today came from the newsroom at KUAR in Little Rock. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich and our general manager, Lee Wood. We'll be with you Sunday morning at 9 for weekend Ozarks at Large. Begin a week of new daily shows on Monday at noon and 7 p.m. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums.